0: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single student that you have brought here tonight. God, you know them individually. You know their names, you know their stories. You know where they're at in their relationship with you. You know the sin in their lives. You know the ways that they're honoring you and putting you first. And God, tonight as we oh, as we talk about the sin in our own life and and the temptation that it is to notice everybody else's sin and completely ignore our own. I pray, God, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that we would be more like you because we've gathered. God, would your word comfort us? Would it convict us? And would it change us? Because we've gathered and because we've opened it, We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you're new tonight, we are so glad that you are here with us. Um, In fact, if you are a regular, could you make a little noise for the new people? Let them know that you're stoked they're here. All right. So here we go. Here we go. We are going to jump in. We are in week... Two of fake. Week two of fake, talking about what it looks like to take off the masks of our lives and actually experience Jesus. Last week we talked about the temptation to be fake in terms of showing off for other people instead of showing up to be used by God. We talked about how it's really tempting to put on a front that everything's okay with us spiritually, and yet at the same time to actually be dead inside. And yet oftentimes, all we care about is as long as people think everything's okay, as long as we're showing off, then it's all good. And we learned last week that God desires us to practice our faith, but to do it in a way that doesn't draw attention back to us, but ultimately points people back To Jesus. And I gave you a challenge. I gave you a challenge to do some secret acts of love and care for people, to to give to people, to serve people, to pray for people at your school, and to not draw any attention to yourself, to not post pictures about it, to not even tell your friends about it, but just to have a secret between you and Jesus about the things that he desires for you to do. And I want to encourage you to keep that up. Well, tonight we're continuing, we're ending our series fake as we look at a few more woes. The last woe where Jesus really drives home the point that it is so easy for us to see sin in other people's lives and to completely neglect the sin in our own lives. But we said this last week, that oftentimes we misunderstand God's truth because we misunderstand his heart. And so I wanna remind you of one verse in particular. Matthew chapter 23 beginning, or just verse 37. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus at the end of dropping some bombs. I mean, he unloads on these followers of God. After unloading on them, he says, hold on, hold on, I, I gotta communicate God's heart. You gotta know how God feels about you, how I feel about you, and this is what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. Oh, you guys, that line, you were not willing, has has like stirred inside of me. It's messed with me. Because for a long time, I've viewed spending time with God as a a checklist, something that I'm supposed to do. And he's really busy, and I'm really busy. And if I get around to it, I know I'm supposed to do it. And then I read those words, and it clued me in. It gave me a, a really clear picture of the heart of God. And the heart of God is that his breaks, his breaks when I am unwilling to seek him. You guys, this has convicted me, because for me in my life, if I don't get up at 6 a.m. to spend time with Jesus, by the time 6.30 or 6.45 rolls around, the kids are waking up, they're jumping out our bed, they're ready for Cheerios, we're trying to get out of the house, I get to work, I get home, we tuck the kids in bed, and I am exhausted. So the only time for me to just carve out some space to spend some time with Jesus is at 6 a.m. every single morning. And I oftentimes sleep through that because I'm like, ah, maybe it'll happen later. I'm just busy. And then this verse has haunted me in all the right ways. And I hope it does the same for you. That when you don't prioritize God, when you don't spend time in his word, when you don't carve out time, when you don't sacrifice, when you don't give things up, including sleep at times, to spend time with Jesus, It grieves him. And he longs to gather us together, to be intimate with us, to be close with us. And yet the truth is, it's not that God is unwilling, it's that oftentimes we are unwilling. I've had two friends this week who who have been texting me every single morning at 6 a.m. And they say, hey, it's time to get up, time to spend time with Jesus. Because I involve my small group. I'm a part of a small group just like you are. And I brought my small group in and I said, look, I need to be doing this. Can you guys help hold me accountable? Andrew, Courtney's husband, him and I read, are reading the same books together in the Bible. And we text each other, hey, this is what God's teaching me. This is what God's teaching me. I have to set up all of these structures in my life to make sure that I do this. Because it's a priority to me and it's important to me. And I know the temptation can sometimes be to, to just be like a verse of the day Christian, right? To just be like, oh man, I, I just open up the Bible and I put my finger somewhere. Oh, the text that comes in and you read one verse. And that's cool, that's cool. And that's a starting point. But don't let that be the goal for you. It's like, um, I was thinking about this. Let's say, uh, let's say I come home from work. And Sarah's like, Eric, I got so much to tell you about the day. I want to tell you what happened with the kids. I want to fill you in on my life. I want to share everything with you. And let's say I walk in, I'm like, that's awesome. I can give you one sentence. How would that make her feel? If I said, I I can give you one sentence, Sarah, how would she summarize all that she wants to share with me in one sentence? Or, Or if I came home after a long weekend of camp, and she's like, oh, there's so much I want to share with you. And I go, I can only handle 140 characters. That's all I got, 140 characters. I would, I would miss out on her heart. I would miss out on getting to know her. And I think in the same way when we, when we spend time with God reading one verse, we miss out on the larger message that he has for us. But here's the thing. Don't feel guilty. If that's where you're at, if that's where you're at, all I'm asking you to do is to take one step forward. So if you're like, you know what, Eric, my time is crazy right now. I really think I, I only can read one verse. Here's all I'm going to ask you to do. Start in one book, finish it, and just read one paragraph a day. If you're saying I can only read a verse a day, okay, okay. I'm just asking you to take one step, read one paragraph a day. Maybe you're like, hey, you know, what? I read one paragraph, I'm gonna ask you to read one chapter. Maybe you're like, you know, I'm good at reading a chapter, but God and I don't really talk. Maybe you read one chapter and then spend some time praying. Maybe you're like I do one chapter and I pray. Maybe your next step is to start to journal. I don't know what your next step is, but I know that God desires to connect with you. And that's his heart. Well, here, as we're about to see, he's about to share some important truth with us. And I think each of us is gonna walk away feeling a little convicted, but remember this about God's conviction. He doesn't convict us to make us feel guilty. He convicts us to draw us back to himself. And so knowing that God longs to gather us together, he longs to love us and to speak to us. I mean, this Bible Is God's love letter to you. It was written, some of it was written 3,400 years ago. The New Testament was written 2,000 years ago. And it is God's love letter to each one of you. And so knowing that, let's hear some harder things that he has to say to us. Not because he wants to make us feel guilty, but because he wants to make us more like himself. Luke, or Matthew, chapter 23, beginning in verse 29. Here's Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Okay, who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking to first a group of people called the teachers of the law. These are like religious leaders. These are pastors. These are small group leaders. These are people who have been in this for a while that have some kind of teaching and leadership role. But then he says, you Pharisees. And what's interesting is, around the time that Jesus was leading, there were four different like subgroups of Judaism. So Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. There were four different groups, just like we have in, in Christianity, like different denominations, there were four different groups of Jewish followers in the time of Jesus. And the first group is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the group that was closest to Jesus. So in terms of, in terms of how Jesus taught, And in terms of the things that Jesus shared, it was closest to the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed in resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the Old Testament. They believed in oral traditions that had been passed down. And so Jesus' homies, like his closest tribe, were this group of Pharisees. But that was only one group. The second group was a group called the Sadducees. Maybe you've read about them or heard about them in the New Testament. Oh, it got really dark in here. The Sadducees Sadducees were a group of people. They were a group of people who hated the Pharisees, hated the Pharisees. In fact, Sadducees, they were a really conservative group and they didn't believe that there would ever be any kind of resurrection at all. And so as soon as Jesus started talking about resurrection, the Pharisees were like, yeah, that's my boy, that's my boy. And the Sadducees were like, kill him now. Like we're done with him. There's no resurrection. That's crazy talk. Well, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and there were two other Jewish groups that were really popular in that day. The third group was called the Essenes. These, these were the Essenes, and these were like, like your hippies. Anybody else like, just admire the hippies, Like you just think they're kind of cool, like they just kind of float out there, like listening to music? This is your group right here, is the Essenes, okay? The Essenes are the group of people who are just like, what's up? Like, let's just chill. Like, it's all good. Yahweh. You know what I mean? Like, that was their thing. That was their thing. They were just so chill. And you know what they would do? They would like hang out in the desert. They would eat like locusts and stuff and honey and do like crazy things. They wore all these like trippy outfits. They were at Woodstock. Like they were those kind of people. You guys don't know what Woodstock is. They were at Coachella. They were at Coachella. They were at Fire Festival. And so they were hanging out over there. And that's the group of the Essenes. And then there was one last group. And the last group was called the Zealots. And the Zealots... They were crazy. I mean, these guys were cray-cray. Like, to be a zealot was insane. You know what it meant to be a zealot? It meant that, like, this was a group of people who were, like, the only way, the only way, the only way to make God the king of this land again is to kick some serious butt. To get violent. To get crazy. This was a group of people who believed, who believed That it was so important, that it was so important to choose violence. That it was so important to overcome Rome as this superpower. And by doing so, meant that they had to get really, really violent. So they were like a military group. Now here's what's awesome. The zealots, the zealots, their main targets, like their first targets were to go after tax collectors, right? Zealots believed tax collectors were like the poison. They were the poison of the Jewish community. And so the best thing to do was to start with these tax collectors. Literally, they wanted to take out, murder tax collectors. And here's what's awesome about Jesus. When Jesus started his movement, he formed a community of people. And one of the people he invited to be a part of his small group, a part of his community, was a guy named Simon the Zealot. So he invited Simon the Zealot and then he invited another guy to join his community whose name was Levi the Tax Collector. Drama! I mean, this is like better than The Bachelorette. Like they couldn't have planned this to get any crazier than for Simon the Zealot who believed the only way, the only way, To restore Israel was to kill tax collectors. And Jesus said, hey, Simon, I really want you to meet my buddy. His name's Levi. He was a tax collector. And he brings them into the same communion. This is what's so powerful, you guys. As you look around this room, Giovanni, what's up, dude? Good to see you. I just met Giovanni on Sunday. You know what's cool about this community right here? There's a lot of diversity here. I just look around. There's kids from different backgrounds, different schools, different ethnicities, different experiences. And some people would say, can all these people really be in the same room? I mean, they've come from totally different backgrounds. When Jesus is the very center of our community, we can get along. When Jesus is the reason that we gather, the differences and the things that formerly would have divided us, they're not as important anymore. But Jesus is talking to this group of Pharisees, this religious leaders. In other words, he's talking to the people closest to him. And so nowadays, that's us. That's the people of God. That's Christians. And Jesus is going to have some pretty harsh words for us, but it's because he loves us. Check out what he says.